looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm Dante Belmonte, joined by my co-host, DJ Smith. DJ, thanks for joining me this week. Thanks for having me, Dante. Of course, always a pleasure. This week's guest, we've got Sean McInter. Uh, He is a real estate agent over in Montclair, New Jersey. He's also a house hacker, a real estate investor. Uh, So we'd really get his perspective from a a top view of what he's been doing, especially house hacking with four kids, two dogs, himself and his wife. That's a lot of people in one unit. And we get to chat about that a little bit. Uh, It really was a phenomenal episode. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. And uh, certainly some great tips in there. So stay tuned. This could be a lot of fun. Yeah, great episode. And uh, for us, we've got a lot going on too. Uh, We've got an LOI going out on a 60 unit that we should be hearing back from about May 5th. Hoping fingers crossed on that one. We just got a new nice little 18 unit we're working on that's off market, uh, actually locally, up towards home for me. Checking that out. So that is some exciting stuff. As always, everyone that's listening in, please uh, stop over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, raise a review as it does help out the show. We appreciate our audience. Yes, we do. Well, let's uh, enter in, Sean. Let's do this. All right, Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very good. How about yourself? Doing great. If you want to go ahead and just take a minute to introduce yourself to our audience and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Great. Yes. Uh, So I am a licensed realtor in North Jersey who happened to house hack with four kids, two dogs, flying all over the state with a family and uh, find a way to make it work in our tough market. Yeah. Yeah. So what market is that that you guys are in? So it's a North Jersey. We're about 30, well, depending on which property we were at, we're about 30 to 40 minutes west of New York City. Um, probably right in the middle, I guess is a good analogy from uh, Pennsylvania and New York. Okay, awesome. And you said you're a licensed real estate agent over in New Jersey. How long have you been an agent for and what kind of got you started in that realm? Awesome. Great question. So yes, uh, 2013, I got my license. And I think like a lot of investors, we got it because maybe some of the agents we were dealing with just weren't up to par per se in that capacity. So uh, yeah, many years ago, got my license, um, dove deep into real estate and started kind of going from, I guess, I guess uh, one property to the next per se, but uh, yeah, got it ultimately for the investment side of things. Awesome. I love that. Now talk to us about the investment side of things. When did that start and tell us that story? Cause everyone has the story of how they got started in real estate or their why. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. uh, So, I mean, for me, I remember, oh man, this is a long time ago now. I think I was Googling like how to become a millionaire overnight, something stupid. You know, I was right out of college, (laughs) not knowing better. So, uh, you know, fortunately I found bigger pockets, not some uh, guru website, you know, very fortunate. I could only imagine if I found, uh, you know, for $500, you can get the answer to everything. And then, you know, the upsell. Uh, So yeah, found bigger pockets. And that kind of snowballed into one thing into the next, you know, um, 
a little bit prior, I, I was actually at meeting some friends and this kid kept talking about this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, oh, what was this kid talking about? You know, I didn't really think much of it. And then uh, once I rediscovered Bigger Pockets, it kept coming up again. So I was like, okay, I got to read the book. And I think like many others out there, that was uh, a great book to kind of get the investing idea in my head. So I'd say uh, Bigger Pockets and Rich Dad, Poor Dad were two huge influences for getting me started. Now, nobody goes this journey alone, right? So who were some of the key people uh, in, in the early stages now when, when you started getting off the ground and saying, hey, I want to do this, this real estate investing thing? Uh, what did that look like for you? Great. Yeah. So, I mean, my wife um, at the time, she was my fiance. Oh, geez. Maybe she was my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> I, I think she was my fiance when we first started. I mean, we've been together for so long. Hopefully um, she doesn't listen to this, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, we're talking years ago. I mean, oh man, time flies. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we were fiance at the, at the time. Uh, so yeah, she, she's she been in my corner since day one. She's been absolutely uh, remarkable, great um, person out on my side. Um, major influence in that capacity. And then just mentors that I've met along the way, uh, other members on Bigger Pockets, stuff like that, uh, huge influencers that uh, kind of helped accelerate things for me uh, in the capacity that we wanted to uh, move in. Gotcha. So uh, take us then through, you know, your first investment project. What did that look like? Um, you know, so we talked a little bit about the, the genesis of the idea. Uh, came from bigger pockets, which we love. Bigger pockets, right? And nobody can go wrong there. Uh, so certainly uh, a great resource, both from an educational standpoint and a networking standpoint. Um, but talk to us about okay. So now you're into bigger pockets. You're learning about this investor thing. Uh, what was the idea on the first project, and spur on some of our listeners to, hey, here's maybe a way I can get started. Yes. So. Our first, very first project, we were still newbies for sure. Um, you know, we knew we wanted to invest, but we didn't exactly know how to yet. Uh, so I was still networking with people in Bigger Pockets, but I didn't really have that group yet. So our first deal ended up being a single family home that just did not make sense at all on paper. So uh, we we dove deep in that deal thing. We're, hey, we're going to make this a buy and hold property. We're going to be millionaires, you know, in a week or so. You know, <laughs> ultimately found out, okay, single families don't really work well in our market. There is a way of getting to where you want to be much faster via multifamilies. So long story short, um, at that time, my wife, was, we, we had our, our first child. My wife was pregnant. Uh, we ended up selling that single family, moving back in with my parents. And uh, at that time, I was in a very close relationship with other bigger pocket members, uh, you know, constantly seeing properties going out um, with other agents from bigger pockets, seeing what other investors are doing. Uh, so we decided to sell the single family, move back in with my parents and uh, ultimately buy a multifamily property. Right. So the, the single family then, it was a home you tried to renovate and live in. Was that the idea behind that one? Yeah, um, I, it was. Yes. We, we Not to the extent that we are now, but it was just like we were just getting our feet wet. I mean, we, we didn't really know what we were doing. I mean, from the numbers to everything, we knew we wanted to make things look nicer, but to, it was just complete newbies. <laughs> right. And, so, and not a unique story, right? Not everybody hits the ground running. 
in, in fact, I'd say that's more the typical story of people finding their way. Yeah. But the important thing was you made the decision. You started. Yeah. So you had your first property. So now you made this adjustment. So talk us through now, where, what did you then evolve into next? Well, real quick, before you get on that, Sean, what was the reason you said single families don't really work well in this market? Touch on that a little bit because some people, you know, their markets, they can dominate with single families. And I know people that have portfolios of single families, but I know like markets like my own, I'm in upstate New York, single families don't really work that well. So touch on that real quick. Great question. Yeah. So um, New Jersey, you know, we're notorious for our taxes. So the, the taxes and then just the price, the entry, uh, you know, you're looking at minimal cash flow. Even, even nowadays with multifamilies, it's tough to be hitting these home run grand slam type properties. You can still find them that work, but in the single family realm, it is just non-existent. Um, you know, there are people out there that have them, but most of them were from the crash, you know, many years ago, stuff like that, when uh, there were the foreclosures, so they're buying dirt cheap things. Um, but for us at that time, it was 2013 or so. It, it was, they're fading out. So um, for us to be in a place where we could add more equity, um, you know, you can always do that with a single family, but we wanted to get to that cash flow realm as well, which it just, it's very tough to do with a single in North Jersey. Gotcha. So the, the plan then, the, the shift that you made then was out of single family homes, but you were also looking to, you weren't necessarily looking for the quick cash from a flip. Uh, you guys were looking at more of a buy and hold strategy, it sounds. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, we, we, we love buy and hold. Long gotcha. So uh, this, again, going back to the early days, uh, single family home, high relative price point, which leads to higher taxes, yep. didn't really work in your market. Where did you go next? Yes. So we sold that property, walked away with a little bit of liquid cash, um, moved back with my parents, and then we started this search for a multifamily property. Uh, so we, we were all over the state looking at that point. Um, we ended up finding a property, which is about 30, 35 minutes west, west of New York City. Um, in a town called Summit that we really didn't know much about at the time, um, but absolutely loved the town. And uh, it turned into just a magnificent story on our end of what we did and um, how we made it work. So happy to dive and, a little bit deeper into that if you'd like. Yeah, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. So first thing I want to talk about a little bit is your acquisition price. So how much you purchased it at? And then talk to us about the loan type too, because if you guys were occupying one of the units, did you utilize an FHA, a low down conventional? Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So purchase price was $495. Um, the loan we used was a 10% down conventional. So uh, absolutely love it. It's a great loan. I always recommend. Um, I even recommend the 5% down conventional right now for some clients. Um, if you can qualify, that's, that's a home run. That's always awesome because you could really eliminate the PMI depending on what your credit is. For us at the time, uh, we didn't have the best credit. Um, it wasn't horrible, but we just weren't able to qualify for no PMI. So we had the PMI. Uh, but still, at the end of the day, I always like that conventional route because it's as simple as appraisal rather than refinance to uh, remove the PMI. Whereas with an FHA loan, Yes, you have to go through the whole refinance process, restart the loan, 
uh, essentially start from square one, you know, and for us, it would have been two, three years later when we were doing this. Uh, so the conventional really saved us big time because we just got that appraisal and the PMI just went right away. And I, I want to touch on that for the listeners that don't really understand. So typically, and Sean, you can correct me as well, because I'm an agent. So I kind of know some of the nuances, but not all of them. So mm-hmm. FHA, and usually your um, PMI is for the life of the loan. It doesn't go away if you hit 20% low, uh, into the loan, meaning 80% loan to value or, lo- or uh, lower. But then conventional, usually when you hit 20% of that loan that you've paid, um, usually that PMI goes away if you apply for it. Or if you feel that the value of your home has gone up, you can get a reappraisal done. And if the value is higher and you're 80% of value or lower, then that PMI goes away. And that PMI is uh, property mortgage insurance um, that it really insures the bank. It's kind of funny how that works because we're paying to protect the bank on their on our loan, um, which I just think is kind of comical. And that could be anywhere from like 0.3 to 1% of the loan annually that you're paying each month. So it gets pretty expensive. So I always tell people, you know, get in your home, use the conventional program, low money down if you can, do some upgrades and then just get it reappraised instead of refinancing the whole thing. Um, once those repairs or upgrades are done and get rid of that PMI, save, you know, 60, 70, 80, even a hundred dollars a month on that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for us, we were about $300 a month we were paying for PMI and, um, you know, fast forwarding a little bit to the story, it, it worked out great because our mortgage, we canceled out 300, but then we added 400 to it and got $80,000 back in the form of home equity line of credit. So as, as if we were paying $100 more for $80,000 in our pocket. So it's pretty cool in that capacity as well. Yeah, and touching on the strategy that Dante just mentioned, uh, if somebody does want to reappraise their home and create the, uh, I'll say the gap or the the 20% equity that way, uh, is there a, a period of time that has to go by in order for that to occur? Uh, it's a great question. And I think that could vary from lender to lender. Uh, for ourselves, we weren't never in that situation where it was going to be a quick you know, like a month later or anything. Um, I know definitely after a year you're safe. It could be six months, but uh, that's a great question. I'm not entirely sure on that one. But um, like I said, we we were never like an overnight type of a process. So we yeah, had that. Each, each lender kind of has like their seasoning period, so to speak. And it does vary yeah. lender by lender, maybe credit union, maybe Freddie Fannie lender. It just depends. Right. So the lesson there is you have to know the loan products that you're targeting. You have to know the details of the terms of your loan uh, and make sure it matches whatever strategy that it is that you're pursuing as an investor. Really important. Absolutely. So uh, so now we're out of single family homes. Uh, now we're, we're into a duplex um, where does the story go from there? How did that first one go for you guys? And then, uh, what were next steps from there? Great. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was a complete gut. We, um, we got in, we closed the day, the same week, my second son was born. Uh, so it was two of us, we still two, two boys, two dogs at this point. Um, you know, through the process, my daughter was born at that property as well. So we had three and two. Yeah. So, you know, we keep going every, every year. It's either a property or a new child. <laughs> That's kind of our story. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the property itself was an illegal quad. 
So um, we converted it back to a duplex, which I always like to touch upon because at the end of the day, we ran the numbers and if we kept it in a legal quad, well, it would have been illegal and we would not have been getting as much rent as making into a luxury duplex. So now we went from having to deal with four different tenants to only dealing with two tenants and getting more money. So uh, that was that was a long process. Um, you know, a lot of the work I was doing myself, some of the work I was subbing out, um, but I was like touching that as well. I like, I like to do the work myself just to learn on that first deal and understand it. Nowadays, not so much, but um, I think that was a huge experience. So now moving forward to other properties, I can go in and kind of hold a conversation um, and be able to relate to my contractors, ask questions and know what's going on. So uh, I do like to always throw that out there. It's not, I don't think it's the end of the world if you're doing the work yourself, um, you know, but once you get to that certain point, yes. You don't yeah, I, I, know, I know another guy like that uh, happens to be my partner, uh, did a lot of the, the hands-on stuff too. So uh, got out of the house in seven months myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So uh, the illegal quad, when did you find out it was illegal? Well, we, we knew from get, the get-go that it was illegal. It, it, was, it was a duplex. Um, they literally had the house with the, the, the stoves were taken out of the basement and the attic because you can't have them in attic space and basement space. But there was still a refrigerator there. There was still a countertop. It was just the stoves were in a garage and they're, they're listing it as a duplex. So everyone knew um, it was a duplex. And uh, we, we, we had the intentions of just converting it back to what it should truly be. Right. So any issues with regard to the town that you had to navigate your way through? I mean, it sounds like everything was on the up and up. Uh, so I would guess those sort of negotiations relative to permitting and everything like that. Uh, did it go smooth or no? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because we were doing things, we were conforming with the town code. Uh, so more so they were happy that we were doing this uh, because, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they'd want a legal quad there or not. We never went down that route because uh, it just makes sense for us to. Yeah. And being in that market, it's very difficult to cash flow. So this property that you made, where was the value added and where were you able to push the cash flow and maybe even talk about the numbers of the cash flow a little bit? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you have a four bedroom, two bath, 30 minutes outside of New York city, you're paying top dollar. Um, summit is a great town, like one of the top school districts in the country, uh, definitely in the state, very desirable location, uh, public transportation, you get into New York city. So it, it, it's a home run in that capacity. So really what our play was is to, you know, do hardwood floor, granite or quartz countertops, new cabinets, update the bathrooms, uh, rearrange, reconfigure some of the layout and, uh, you know, appeal to that high-end luxury tenant. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we're getting $2,800 a month for that single unit, um, which which meant while we were living there, we were paying about $500 a month to live in a 4-2 on the first floor and basement, uh, you know, 30 minutes west of New York City. So it, it, was a, it was a great deal in that capacity when we were living there. Once we moved out, we're, we're at $2,600 a month right now for rent. So on that, we're paying uh, about $3,300 for the mortgage. So, I mean, we're, we're around 2K right now coming in. 
total total time for that project when did you start when did you finish um you said you were doing the work yourself so great question so uh our goal with this and i always like to share this with my clients you know whoever you are that's out there house hacking uh your goal should always be to get a unit rented as soon as possible um so for this particular property we did actually acquire a tenant that was utilizing the basement so uh, that was right away on day one, a uh, nice gentleman. And, uh, you know, he's paying a thousand bucks a month. Nothing crazy because we didn't have the kitchen down there. We didn't want to do anything illegal, but we could have him as a basement. Um, so we then moved to the upstairs unit, made sure to get that done under a year. We, we did a lot of work. We, we really, like I said, we, we went to town on this thing. And um, so we got the tenants up there. That was huge. That allowed us now to work in our unit, supplement the mortgage. So long story, I guess long story short, we are in the entire project for about three years, but uh, we wanted to get those tenants right away. So we did get the basement one, then we got the upstairs one about a year later. When we were now, there. what about house hacking with a family? You didn't have a small family by any means, four kids, two dogs, you, your wife. What was that experience like and how did you guys deal with it as, you know, moving, renovations, all that fun stuff. How did that work? I mean, it, it was just an experience. Uh, I always like to say that my commute home was literally walking down the steps. Uh, that That's why I love house hacking so much because, you know, my family would be downstairs. I'd be upstairs getting things done, whether it was managing a contractor or doing work myself. And I could literally just walk down the steps to see everyone. So I wasn't going to the next town over. I wasn't going, you know, out of state or anything like that to work on a project. My project was my house. Uh, so in that capacity, that's where I think house hacking is uh, life changing. If you are serious about investing, you have kids, uh, but, you know, you want to see your family. So that that was huge. It made it work much better for us. And, and then we, we just made it fun. You know, uh, we incorporated the kids even at a young age. I mean, I've got pictures of, you know, my, my boys that are literally sweeping the floor, helping out. Um, you know, we have pictures of him painting some of the, the walls, uh, anything. They, they love the help and they, they help out today too on our project. So it's pretty cool in that capacity. That's awesome. Now, were you uh, a real estate agent throughout the entire process? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, so investors, benefits of being a real estate agent uh, and also being an investor, do you recommend it? Personally, I, I do, um, but it's always going to come down to the inv individual. Um, I knew what I wanted. I knew the benefits of this. Uh, I always like to say that our closing costs in, in terms of the commission that we received paid for our closing costs. So that was awesome. You know, not having to worry about that, that the closing costs that is. Um, and then even forgetting about all that, forgetting about the commission, just the amount of time I was able to save uh, because you can't always get in touch with a realtor. You, you, a realtor is not going to show you 50 houses. You know, you, you're not going to be able to get anyone that's willing to do that. So I would just take my license and I would just go into houses regardless if I was going to buy them or not. And then I would tag along with other realtors. I'd say, can I go with you when you're showing your clients so I could learn a little bit. And uh, that whole process really ended up coming out to be about seeing 100 to 150 houses prior to us putting our first offer in. 
So, I mean, we had the knowledge in place. We, we knew what we wanted. Um, so that was huge in that capacity. And if I didn't have my license, I, I would not have been able to see that many properties. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty important too. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I have my license with investing as well is I had access to so much more data, so much more information. And, you know, instead of having to bother an agent, I can go see anything anytime I want. And it, it was nice because I had all the info. And the best part was when I actually did purchase something, I walked away with a check at closing, you know, that 3% or whatever it is, it did cover my closing costs, or I just put all the money in the property, but I still had a check at the end of the day. So I always tell people though, you know, if you're going to get your license, don't expect to make a bunch of money the first two years. You're yeah. ramping up that business. Now that I've been it for X amount of years, it's just taking off. And, you know, my phone rings constantly with leads. I don't have to go out and find them. And that's a whole other podcast we can get into. Yes. <laughs> but I, if you're looking to invest full time, I do think getting your license is a good idea, depending on what your other full time job is. Some people are are teachers or doctors, you know, like a doctor, it doesn't make sense to go get a real estate license or a teacher. You're working eight to, you know, eight to three every day. It, it's tough. So you got to find out what works best for you. And yeah. something you mentioned in uh, uh, your topics you have is how you guys like to celebrate birthdays during renovations. I want to hear a little bit about this. What's, what is so fun and attractive about celebrating in a very dusty room? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends on where, what stage you're at in the renovation. But I mean, I've got pictures of we're in our unit, you know, having a great time. And then literally the entire second level was a birthday party. You know, we had family, friends come over, wide open space, and we set up tables. And, uh, you know, obviously the birthday party was a construction themed party. So it was fun for the kids. But, uh, you know, not to scare anyone, we weren't that crazy of a construction site. It, we had the finishing touches up. But uh, it was pretty cool. And that, that's kind of what we would do. Uh, you know, every time we, a kid's birthday, we'd have the family come over and say, check out the property, show the property, you know, wherever we were at. And uh, it was great to kind of introduce it to everyone and then have a good time with the family. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great, especially introducing your kids at such a young age and exposing them to this investment type and how it works. It's really going to plant that seed in them at a, at a young age. And I think that's phenomenal. And if they decide to kind of, pick up with what you guys are doing, I'm sure they'll be very successful. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, DJ, did you have anything else before we head over to our next section of the show? Uh, I do think one of the, the topics uh, that I wanted to cover was this, this powerful lease. Um, so some tips for people and how they can create uh, that powerful lease. What do you suggest? Absolutely. It, it's always in works. Um, every year I add to it. Every year I edit it. Um, this was, I got this through networking as well. All the members on bigger pockets, you know, collaborating, sharing ideas. But I think a lease is something that you always want to be editing. Um, it shouldn't be the same lease for the next 20 years. I mean, every, literally every single time we have great tenants, we don't have many problems because of that. You know, you come in a state like New Jersey, you get this bad rep that it's not tenant friendly. It's not landlord friendly. If you have the systems in place, you do the right job screening, you do the right job, you're doing your due diligence as a landlord, and then you have this lease to back you up. Um, I don't have a problem. Uh, you know, we're five years in, or let's see, six years in uh, without an eviction. Uh, my mentor who introduced this to me, I mean, he's been doing it for over 25 years and um, 
I believe he's had two evictions, one of which was a tenant that he acquired when he purchased the property. So, uh, yeah, I think having that lease, it really puts you at a ne the next level in this, in this game. Yeah. Pretty good batting average there. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, with the lease, well, two things. One, when you're renovating these properties and you're making them very nice, the odds are you're going to get a better quality tenant because of that price tag on the unit per month and the quality of the unit versus, you know, you're obviously in the A to B class space versus the C to D class space. Um, having that strong lease is also important as well. I mean, you can't, people will just go online, Google apartment lease and pull it off the PDF and, and use it. You can't do that. So like when I had mine, I kind of preliminary wrote it up what I wanted in it, sent it out to my attorney. He reviewed it, marked it up a little bit, and it was a very strong lease. Um, so I think that's another important aspect as well. We're, we are over 20 pages on our lease um, and it's just constantly extending it. Literally every single time we, we will find something and I will have literally great tenants that are amazing and we'll still be like, well, wait a second, let's add this in there just so we can avoid the headache the next time around. Yeah. Another thing I'd like to touch upon too is I'm, we're not closing right now with a client and the lease that is in place, it, it almost ended the deal. So when it comes time to sell your properties long-term, I mean, it, I really had to help him get through this. I'm like, look, this is a short-term thing. We're going to get through this. Uh, I mean, it's like a two-page lease. I mean, it's lucky to even have a start date on the thing. It, it was just really bad. So, I mean, keep that in mind out there, landlords. If you're looking to sell and you have tenants in place, um, a new buyer will appreciate that as well knowing that you have that strong lease and that you're doing your job because it, it speaks volume that uh, you know what you're doing in your profession. Yeah, I think it's all great advice, Sean. You're, you're uh, spitting good truth there. We'll, uh, we'll head over to our section of the show called The Curious Cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you that we ask every guest and we'll get your, uh, your feedback on those. First sure. question, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Um. You know, I, I love, I do like bigger pockets. Um, I, I will say that I was very addicted to the bigger pockets for when I was starting out, you know, their first 100 to 200 episodes. And then I kind of died out. I, I'm really into audiobooks right now. That's, that's my go to at the moment. So I'll, I'll say bigger pockets. Yeah, I was I was the same way when I first got started. All I was doing was digesting these bigger pockets podcasts and you know 200, 300 episodes wherever they're at at the time. And uh, they're they're definitely more for the beginner stage. When you get a little bit more advanced, you do start to phase out of it. And I got a little beef with bigger pockets right now. They've banned me like twice because I mentioned that I have a, I'm a real estate agent in the forums and that I have some good deals. And like you can't advertise your deals, so they keep banning me. And yeah, I, you gotta I, be careful. I, yeah. I'm just like, what in the world? How is this a network on here? And I, someone asked a question about my market and I just said, Hey, if you want to talk offline, you know, just, we're not blowing up the forums and then bigger pockets message me. And they're like, you can't ask people to message you offline. It's against our policies. I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> it's because I think so many people would do it. I remember this happening. You go, people would be like, I need an agent in X town. And then it'd be like 35 responses. And it'd just be like, yep. it, people abused it. What you're doing, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, you're doing, I, I don't think you're abusing it, but you know, it's right because I, I, I just 
exactly. Like someone asked about, you know, top five markets. I posted, you know, my market and telling them I'm not biased and everything. And then instantly I got 12 messages because people were interested in my market. And then they took all my posts and I was like, ah, oh, what in the world? But they're, they're doing it to protect the community. And, you know, there's a lot of issues with like people that are private lenders up on there and really just scamming people. So I get yeah. that. Uh, uh, editor's note, Dante is generally a rule follower. <laughs> Yes, I am. So that's why it was very frustrating for me. I'm not trying to break the rules over here. Question number two, favorite book you enjoy reading, Sean? Hmm. Favorite book, you know, uh, geez, that can go a lot of different directions. Um, I, I would say the obstacle is the way that was a huge one. Um, I mean, I would listen to it on repeat, uh, um, you know, especially when I was renovating, that really got clarity around the process explaining like you just have to keep moving forward. It's, it's not an overnight gain. Um, so that was huge. I, I love 1% rule. Mm, yep, books. Great four hour work week. I mean, the, the list can go on. I got a, a bunch over here with the, with the super lock box over there. I see that over there yeah. too. <laughs> and yeah. biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome. Biggest hurdle. Hmm. Yeah. You know, hmm, that, that could go, that could go a lot of different ways as well. I, I would say maybe, maybe mindset a little bit. I mean, really it's just, it was just getting clarity around the whole process. Um, I, I'd say when we first started out, we were, we just didn't know exactly where we wanted to go, but staying with it, you know, uh, it, it ended up getting us there. And you might think like, Oh, what about that single family? And it, at, at the end of the day, it, it was a, it was a mistake of a deal, but it was such a learning experience. It was the law that, of the first deal kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, without it, I, I, I would have hated to purchase, you know, this $500,000 multifamily as our first deal and make that the mistake. Whereas our first deal was a, $300,000 single family that we ended up learning so much from. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with just kind of the, the, the biggest hurdle would be that just getting the clarity in your mind around all this stuff. Yeah. You know, you, there's so much getting thrown out there. Um, and you know, especially with that, you know, everything. kind of that first deal you mentioned too, it's the same thing for me, you know, today I wouldn't have bought that first deal, but because yeah. I bought that first deal, I'm where I'm at today. You know, it got me started. I, I learned, I didn't make any crazy mistakes. I ended up being a good investment. It still is. And I still have it, but it's just one of those things that gets the ball rolling and the, the momentum down the path. Absolutely. Favorite non-real estate related hobby. So what do you like doing in your free time? Well, family activities, uh, that's great. Um, you know, we do a lot of vacations and stuff like that on the weekends, um, little small trips and then a couple of big trips every year. And then um, I love soccer. So I'm, go. Uh, I play on a men's league every Sunday morning, or at least I try to. Uh, so that's always fun. Soccer's You're talking fun. to two soccer guys right here and I'm in a men's league every Sunday evening. Oh, really? Nice. Yep. Cool. There you go. Just trying to keep, keep myself in shape, you know, keep running around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, so soccer has been a huge part of my life. Um, so I, yeah, I love the play. Great yeah, sport. That's, it is. Yeah. And newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started in real estate investing? Great question. Uh, just make it a commitment. Don't, don't, you know, you're going to start out with interest. I was going to say, don't be interested, but yeah, you're going to start out being interested 
uh, change interest to commitment. And then once you're at commitment, make sure you are doing something every single day. Uh, my advice I always go back to is make sure it's 15 minutes a day. If you can just do 15 minutes of whatever it is, real estate related, it will change your life in a year. Um, and I like 15 minutes because it's never 15 minutes. It's always going to be more, but it's so simple, so easy. You're going to get started and then you'll find out you'll be two hours, three hours later, and you just figured out the answer to whatever problem it is you're trying to solve in real estate all by making that commitment to 15 minutes. Yeah, there it is. I like it. That's solid. Yep. Sean, you've been a, a phenomenal guest. We really appreciate you having uh, you on the show, taking the time out of your day. If you could just take a minute and put in your info where people can in contact with you if they want to connect with you more, uh, please throw that right in the show. Absolutely. Uh, definitely bigger pockets. Uh, Sean McIntyre, check out my profile, read my blog. Uh, you have any questions, please message me there. And then uh, Instagram, Sean sells N-J-R-E, and that's S-H-A-W-N. So Sean sells N-J-R-E. Great. I love it. Sean, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on the show. DJ, thanks for uh, being my co-host this week. And my pleasure. See you guys next week. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.